Hey guys, before we start this episode, I wanted to talk to you about Type 1 Lifting. So Type 1 Lifting is a clothing line that proceeds of the shirts and tanks and everything else goes to the Children's Diabetes Foundation. So um, this all came about with me and seeing a five-year-old girl in the emergency department uh, that had a new onset of diabetes. So uh, just take a look at the website. It's www type1lifting.com so just check it out if you don't buy anything that's perfectly fine uh, I would just like for you just to take a look and just see what we have so like I said before www.type1lifting.com and guys I hope you enjoy the show What's going on everybody? Another episode coming at you with the Type 1 Lifting Podcast. I have a very good friend of mine, Joe Harrell, with me. We've actually known each other for quite a couple of years. Uh, we were both trainers at the gym uh, I used to work at. So what's going on, man? Nothing much, buddy. Glad yeah. to uh, be on with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy that I finally got you on because we've been kind of like, <laughs> <laughs> we're like, oh yeah, we'll do the podcast. Oh, I can't do it. Or like, you know, then it's my turn and yeah, it's like, yeah. I can't do it. So I'm glad we got a chance to do it. So, um, you started personal training how how long ago? So I started, you know, doing some sort of personal training in about 2014 when I was an undergrad. I had always been involved giving advice and stuff like that. You know, the, the mm-hmm. gym bro that yeah, gives yeah. advice that's probably unsolicited at point times. But uh, I was a manager at a gym when I was 18. And so that kind of just being, you know, at the front desk, being in decent shape, people would ask you questions. So always been giving advice for a while but 2014 I started to do some online stuff um, in undergrad we had uh, different programs where we needed to, to actually train clients to get a grade that kind of stuff uh-huh. and so that led into me doing it almost freelancing you know uh, don't don't tell the IRS but you know I never really <laughs> it was all kind of uh, just me and then uh, 2016 the online stuff got a little more serious uh, I was working with close friends and athletes and stuff like that, um, trying to, to crank it up a little bit. And uh, I was, man, I was dirt cheap. Boy, I was cheap. We're talking $10 a workout cheap. Mm-hmm. So, because it was, you know, I was in college and I felt like, I don't know, I didn't. You didn't think you didn't think you were right. You were there at the time. Right. So. Well, it's, it's one of those. I was using my clients as much as they were using me. And mm-hmm. what I mean is, you know, I was learning from them what worked for them, what didn't work for them. I, it was, you know teaching myself how to be a better coach, better trainer and stuff. So, uh, you know, I didn't want to overcharge a service when there were extra variables. And I was really more interested in the volume rather than the money aspect. So yeah. the more people I could get to work with, the more I could learn, right? So yeah. the more I could do. So I was cool with, you know, being cheap. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, then uh, towards the middle of grad school, I moved up here to coming, right, and started working at the gym with you guys. Uh kind of rewind a little bit end of 2016 I graduated from undergrad uh, with my extra science degree and two days later I started my internship with the Falcons mm-hmm. so I went in and started working with them and we were doing uh, athletic training stuff which is a little bit outside of scope but uh, you have to get in the door so yeah I'm uh staying up late at night watching videos on how to <laughs> tape ankles and yeah. shit, you know so it was pretty wild but um 
started doing that and then uh i'll never forget the the head strength coach came in the weight room one day and he stopped and he looked at me and he said man you look like a meathead and that, i knew that was my end so i started every time i saw him you know i'd hint drop hey when can i get in the weight room and work with you guys you know so about a quarter of the way through the internship they started letting me split duties between the at room and, and the um, strength room you know and uh i started doing a decent job there and was still doing a good job in the at aspect so they would start to give me even more time as long as i was getting my duties done you know and stuff like that and then about halfway through uh they just moved me full weight room so i was in the weight room you know cleaning we were we did inventory on equipment we did inventory on like gatorade which i don't know man they they have enough they gatorade it. to make us all diabetics yeah. i'm telling you so uh, you got a full warehouse almost on site, and uh, we would inventory that and make sure all the fridges were stocked. And then uh, athletes normally list, lifted on two different sessions in the in the AM, so we'd make sure everything was ready for that and kind of help coach them through if the coaches needed me to do anything. It was normally pretty minimal mm -hmm. in that aspect. Uh, at the professional level, it's a lot different than the college level in that at the college level, you're going to have so many more athletes than coaches that – you know they're they're bringing in J, GAs and janitors to you know yeah, help and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But uh, at the pro level, there's a lot more hands on deck. So the hands on type stuff they were pretty much covered with. But um, I had kind of a deal with the head strength coach that if I did a good job for the day, got everything done early, he'd give me 30 minutes and he'd pull out the whiteboard and walk me through stuff and you know his training philosophies and try to teach me. You know, he uh, I don't want to name drop, so I'm not gonna you know, but he uh, was a big West Side guy. He had worked with Louie mm -hmm. some, and uh, so we were all, you know, you know, velocity training and stuff like that, talking about dynamic efforts, max efforts, you know. And so uh, it was all cool stuff. And then I uh, started grad school that fall, and uh, with the hopes that I'd be returning with them, I kind of had some, you know, handshaking going on that I'd be back, but uh, some staff changes took place, and never really made it back so about halfway through grad school I said alright well I need to I gotta make money somehow right yep. and I had most of my friends live up here and I was in Milledgeville at the time which uh, for those of you not too familiar it's about two two and a half hours from coming where me and Tom are now and so I moved up here the last semester of grad school right during the like the Christmas break stuff like that mm -hmm. and uh, started training full-time at the One Life, and then on Tuesdays, I'd leave at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, drive through Atlanta. I'll repeat, through Atlanta. It's a nightmare. So drive through Atlanta about, it would make it a three, three and a half hour trip, you know, try to get down to class at 6. We'd stay in class from 6 to 9 p.m., and then I'd get off and drive back up, get home by midnight, get up the next morning to train clients at five. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. And uh, I did that Tuesdays and Thursdays and uh, finished up that last semester, you know, and uh, it was real character building. You know, I didn't know what to do with myself when grad school ended because mm -hmm. now I didn't have to drive six hours one, one way, you know, both, both, yeah, ways, both yeah. ways on a day, 12 hours a week. Uh, so my training definitely bumped up yeah. <laughs> in my personal time. So when you were training with the Falcons, did you like watch these guys left and be like, oh my God, these guys are just savages. Just yeah, left it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit different. So 
for for anybody on here that's pretty serious, I, I you know I'm sure some of your listeners have pretty good numbers. You have pretty good numbers, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I, I'm mediocre at best most days. So uh, getting in there at the time, I wasn't at the level that I am now in my own personal training. So it was pretty. Um, I don't know, pretty cool, right? I mean, yeah. they they were moving some good numbers, uh, but flip side, you know what I know about powerlifting. Who I know, you can't compare it to a, an elite powerlifter. No, and you can't compare it to an elite Olympic lifter. Um, but you also can't compare how hard an elite powerlifter can hit somebody in the backfield compared to an elite NFL mm-hmm. linebacker. Yeah, but for athletes that that lift forty five minutes four days a week man they're strong you know what I mean if you kind of put it in that perspective we train an hour hour and a half two hours maybe depending on where you're at in your your, you know where you're at in your year and your goals and stuff so um, comparatively it's it's apples to oranges but when put in perspective man those dudes could move some weight and uh, I, I don't I don't know I guess I can say this but Deion Jones I don't know if anybody knows his name he's uh one of the middle linebackers for the Atlanta Falcons God, he's he's impressive. At the time, he was dealing with some shoulder stuff, and so they had him on a safety bar. Yeah, he was squatting on the safety bar, and I remember thinking to myself, I've never seen anybody do that much weight for that amount of reps. He was squatting like four fifty five for ten. Dang. Um, and that was you know his leg day, so it was it was pretty wild. But um, they focused a lot more on that dynamic effort and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Everything they had tendo units and stuff, so everything was velocity based. Um, I think his name's Brian Mann out of uh, Missouri. He was the head strength coach for Missouri for a while. He uh, came up with the, the phrase "velocity-based training" and put a lot out, a lot of good articles, and information through the um, the NSCA, their Strength and Conditioning Journal, uh, on velocity-based training. And it's kind of the idea. You know, you have so many ways that you can select your intensity. You can go by a percentage of your max, right? You can go by a percentage of a rep max. You can go by speed, which is going to be that velocity based. If you have a Tendo unit, or a, is it called a Bar Ninja or Bar Sensei? I've I've heard of yeah, it. I, it was, I I don't I I forgot what it looks like. Yeah, it's like a it looks. Is like it a that Bluetooth. little piece? Is it like little piece that goes on the end of the barbell? That's that's one. Um, that I think that one tracks more bar path, but it does velocity too. The one that we always talked about in school was, uh, I think it was called a Bar Sensei, and it looks like your Apple Watch. You just take it and you, you kind of strap it to the bar and it, it sends real-time info to your phone and you can track your workouts and stuff like that. Oh, that's real cool. I'm not sponsored by Bons, Bar Sensei, but uh, if you want to name drop me, that, that'd be fine. <laughs> but um, no, you know, cool gadgets like yeah. that. So different ways, different modalities. And then you have RPE, right? That's big now. Huge. Mm-hmm. Five years ago, nobody cared what your rate of perceived exertion was unless you were a, a, a cardio recovering patient, somebody that just had open heart surgery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so now everybody's training. A, oh yeah, I'm training about an eight, and it looks like a twelve. You know, it's. <laughs> but um, that being said, that was kind of what we used there, and so they were always focused on how many meters per second the guys were moving weight and stuff. It was never, there was never like a max day. Mm-hmm. You know, no, never saw a max day or anything like that. Well, that was during in-season, right? So, Well, it was gearing up. It was um, really, it was like May. I started May 7th. No, okay. no, no. I graduated May 7th. started May 9th. And it was May 9th through up in, through spring training, like in August and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's technically kind of their off-season. 
but um, the true, true off season's a few more months before that. Mm-hmm. So they're they're really just trying to get back into good shape because they're also like it would be separated as nine a.m. Bigs lifted, ten a.m. Littles lifted. Excuse me, eleven a.m. would be like lunch and stuff, and then twelve they're out there, you know, practicing for two or three hours, and then they come in for a final lunch and be out for the day. Mm-hmm. Our day as the AT staff and strength staff normally started around uh, like 6 a.m. or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it was like 6. I lived in Dahlonega at the time. So, again, for those that aren't familiar, Dahlonega was about an hour away from Flowery Branch where the training facility was. So, I'd get up at 4, 4.30, make sure that I got down there in time. Uh, once the strength coaches started letting me train with them, Oh man, I was leaving leaving the house at three thirty four because they trained before everybody else even got to the facility. So yeah. they they would start training at four thirty five. So I'd get up and get down there with them. And I'm an afternoon evening guy for sure. Like if you catch me in the gym before twelve, well six months ago if you had caught me in the gym before twelve, you'd I'd look like a zombie. Now I'm getting used to it. I've been mixing my training up a lot with work schedules and different stuff, and uh, it's actually kind of good. It builds a different kind of. Mm-hmm builds a different response you got to be able to get into the mindset a lot quicker stuff like that yep. you know but mm-hmm. um no nah, man it was killing me because yeah. <laughs> i wasn't used to it but uh the enough of the adrenaline being able to work out in that environment you know kind of push you through it but yeah i'd get down there and then by 6 a.m we're prepping the at room we're getting coolers filled and stuff for the day um making sure inventory is good getting everything packed out and then uh you know Six thirty seven a.m. The players would start rolling in for uh, pre prehab stuff like that. So if you had a guy that had any sort of nagging thing, he'd roll up and start getting some work done on him, or, or start going through some exercises and stuff. And then um, we actually, I want to say that we taped at that time. So no, 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 no. It depended. If it was a guy that wanted tape for his workout, we taped them there during I, that time. But my thing is with that is why would you want to tape somebody? You're kind of hindering the movement. Exactly. I mean, that's yeah. just my opinion. There's a lot to it. I'm not a there's yeah. But um it was it's it's weird, you know, and it, there's so much advanced things that take place that you're like, "Wow, that's really cool." Like, mm-hmm. you know, this is this is cutting edge. Like yeah. we had we had tens units and and different ultrasound models and uh you know like the game readies and and um what's the one where you you put them on your leg and you lay back in a recliner i know that's pretty big now so we never had that yeah we never had that in college we just had like the ultrasound machine the tens machine and like just heat and i think that was pretty much it we had models that weren't on the market tag yeah it was stuff that that wasn't even on the market yet and then there was uh one that we had it was a laser like an infrared rate laser i've seen those yeah and there were a few spots on the tables that looked burnt and one time i was asking one of the other you know interns I was like dude what's this from you know and he's like that's where somebody accidentally held the laser too long yeah so i i don't want to get anyone in trouble so i won't say what i did in the at room but let's just get the vibe out there i was way in over my head so um it's really one of those you go home learn as much as you can at night try to prep for the next day um and because you know you mess something up you mess somebody's career up potentially you know depending it wasn't always those high stakes but 
No, we'd get the dudes in, type, tape certain things, you know. That, well, they were big in rock tape and stuff, so, you know, they'd throw some stuff like that on. Um, and then, again, they, they'd all hit breakfast, be ready to start lifting. I want to say it was actually 8 a.m.'s bigs, 9 a.m. littles. So we're talking the bigs would be the offensive line and defensive line and bigger mm-hmm. players. Because um, their workouts would sometimes look a little bit different, uh, you know, position dictates. And so... Then at 9 a.m., the littles would come in and they would lift. Uh, they normally had more plyo stuff involved, right? Yeah. So they'd be doing box jumps and stuff like that. And then um, 10 a.m., everybody's getting that pre-tape for practice. And then folks would get out there and they would start practicing around 11. And I think we they would they were normally two-hour practices. We'd be done and out by one. And so everybody grabbed food, which was fantastic, man. It's the best the highest quality buffet almost that you yeah. can get your hands on. They had chefs there and stuff, so that was always fun. I loved it. And they would, uh, the chefs would always take care of us, right? Us athletes, like the, the interns, mm-hmm. they'd pull us over to the side after everything was done. I was like, hey, we have some leftover in the back. Here you go. We're not going to feed it to anybody, so y'all can take it. So you normally get two meals out of it, you know, and it was good because you'd get like salmon or shrimp yep. and, and some sort of beef. Yeah, I loved it. That was awesome. Yeah, it was good stuff. But then... um We'd stay around maybe another couple of hours, again, checking on inventory. We inventoried maybe two, three times a day and uh, get things squared away, clean up the field, prep for the next day, and then, you know, you're out. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Hey, I mean, I would, lo- I would have loved to do that. <laughs> yeah. be, that's awesome. So It was a good time. Yeah. I mean, the craziest lift I've seen was probably Saquon Barkley. He's a running back for the Giants. He, uh-huh. he cleaned, he, he squat cleaned 405, no belt, Nike sneakers, and that was it was – yeah. Amazing! I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like this, that was insane. I mean, he's got like legs, like both my legs put together. Is that's that's one of his legs? It's, yeah, it's huge. They had this cat. Um, this he was a linebacker in college, but I think they were trying to move him to fullback. And I, I don't, I don't think he ever made the team. But he was from like South Dakota or North Dakota, so like he was a smaller school. You know, mm-hmm. he was built like a tank, though. Probably weighed like two twenty, and I mean. God, when I say built like a tank, he was yoked. Traps that, like, didn't let his ears, you know, he couldn't hear you. His traps were so big. <laughs> and um, I watched him. They were doing, like, a three-rep hang clean, and he was using 405. Oh. Yeah. It was pretty ridiculous. He was one of those dudes that, you know, it outworked everybody. Um, Man, and it was always, it was always funny because there was... I mean this probably in the best way it can be applied. There was a lot of egos in the room, right? Yeah. And so it, it kind of created a, a, a conducive environment for individuals working really hard. And nobody sandbagged. Mm-hmm. There was no half-assing. You know, like if, if somebody did more weight than you, even if you weren't hitting the right velocities, dudes would like – because you'd hear him say, yeah, man, you're a little slow on that set. you got to speed that one up. He'd say, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. Because like, the, the alternative is take off weight. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. they're squatting more than you or whatever. Yeah. You know, and they, they weren't about it. So <laughs> it was really cool. That's awesome. So now after, after when that whole series ended, you started at One Life. So mm-hmm. you kind of you – did you add like some of your workouts from like the Falcons over to – I mean, granted, you, you, you're, you're – you know, clients are a little bit older and like, you know, yeah, don't really yeah. move that well compared <laughs> to those dudes. But did you kind of implement the same things? Yeah, there was, there was some crossover for sure. Um, I, but it was, it was smaller stuff. Yeah. Cause I've always, 
the the big things that we all think there's nothing that's super groundbreaking. Um, those guys they they do the same lifts we do. They do the same exercises we do. Um, the intensity is the same that we do. You know, uh, the main difference is we're talking about taking a Ferrari out to the track, whereas mm-hmm. I'm a Ford Focus. You know, so um, but. No, things like it was little stuff. It was like band pull-aparts, uh, banded TKEs or, or terminal knee extensions. Yep. You know, um, the the pre-lift stuff I started to implement more and more with my clients because um, you know I, I just feel like the more ready you are to lift, the better you lift when you're there. Yeah. Right? You know. Um, but and then it was uh, sort of a different mindset with things. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if, how much you know about post-activation potentiation. That was kind of a big thing. Now, that's just fancy for, say, in priming you for a lift. Yeah. So it would be something like um, if I put you in a squat rack right now, or, or tell you what, we'll do like two controls. If we had a box, uh, say a 35-inch box, that's pretty short, right, or easy for most people to jump. I don't yeah. know. I'm not a good jumper, so I couldn't tell you. But uh, no, we, we have a 30... 32-inch box, something like that, right? And we're not necessarily worried about how tall the box is because you're going to out-jump the box anyways. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole different soapbox I can get on. But um, you want to out-jump the box and have a soft landing to the box. You don't want your uh, ankles to be by your ears when you're jumping onto a box. Yeah. But if we let you jump to that box and, and we set up some sort of measurement, whether it was using a camera and then... You know, whatever. Or if you were doing like a vert jump, just trying to hit the clicks like at the combine, right? Mm -hmm. We did that and took that as your base. And then we put you in a squat rack and took 95% of your one rep max and made you hit it for one rep and then told you to do the jump again. There's a really good chance you would jump higher the second time. And it's, 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 I believe it's, you know, it involves central nervous system, right? Everything's heightened. You were under a heavy load. Mm -hmm. Now you're under a free load, like you no load at all, you know, stuff like that. And so they, they did a little bit of that here and there. Um, I really, uh, you know, having more of a powerlifting background, I uh, dusted off my feelings on the hex bar, the trap bar. I used to, oh, if it's not a, if it's not a straight bar deadlift, it's not a deadlift, you know. But, yeah. Um, really for your athletes, if, if they're not going to compete in powerlifting or they're never really going to be, you know, Olympic weightlifters, of course, there's a lot of crossover from a conventional deadlift with a straight bar. Mm-hmm. To But if it's an athlete and they're just going to run, jump, and play sports, hex bar is probably the best thing for them. Yeah. You know, they're mm-hmm. a lot less likely to get injured. Uh, the leverages are more conducive. You still get a lot lower back. Mm-hmm. You know, so stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, it was it, it helped carry over. Yeah, plus plus your chest is higher up, too. So right. you can actually yeah. get get in a better position. So exactly. I used to have my clients use that, like, all the time. Right. Like, I probably – I'd probably have them use that more than just the straight bar for deadlifting because I knew for a fact because some of them would put their butt up first compared to, exactly. you know, lifting up their shoulders first. So I have yet to have – just your your general pop your gin pop client I have yet to have one deadlift from the floor mm-hmm. RDLs I'm big on RDLs uh, mainly and it, it kind of started in my own personal training you know when I deadlift the first rep is garbage and the next two three four reps look great mm-hmm. or if I do a rack pull first rep is garbage and it's part of you're starting from a concentric rather than an eccentric right mm-hmm. so when you're squatting out of the rack, 
your first movement is an eccentric movement into the hole, then you concentrically stand back up, right? Yeah. Well, with a deadlift, it's all you generating the first push of force. Nothing is forcing you into a hole. Nothing's forcing you to fight back against it. You have to generate all that. And that's one reason why the deadlift's so hard on the central nervous system. But all of that being said, if you're not really good at locking everything in, the eccentric portion is going to lock you in. Mm -hmm. So if you stand up and you lock out and then you lower the bar, your next rep should look tighter. And uh, so I had hurt my back one time doing rack pulls for the same thing. And I just now, that was years ago, and I just now, like this week, two weeks ago, probably started doing rack pulls again Mm -hmm. for more of a bodybuilding thing. But, you know, anyways, um, and I was talking to a guy yesterday. It's funny that we're here. I um, told him that I was going to start walking the bar out of the, um, the rack to lower it to the pins. Gotcha. Yeah. So that I'm I'm starting from a straight position so that I can eccentrically lower to the pins, then start my rack pull set. So I'm locked in to maybe <laughs> help my back a little bit. But um, no, yeah, hex bar, man. Oh, for gin pop for sure, because they're gonna be scared scared to deadlift anyways. If you ever put them in front of a straight bar, that first rep's gonna scare them because yeah. they feel their lower back, whether it's good or bad, whether they're hurting themselves or not. Most people don't feel their lower back, especially under good loads you know and so when they start to feel it activated it makes them a little bit nervous yeah when i when i was training people with the straight bar deadlift what i would do is i would get those like plyo boxes like the really small ones like that's like almost the same height as where where if you put like bumper plates on it'd be like the yeah, same yeah, same area inches, three yeah, inches yeah. tops so so i'd have them like get use the bar and just like go off of that and just like obviously it's 45 pounds and like most of my clients could do that so i pretty much just have them lift off the ground, go down, and then like add the tens, and then just have them pretty much get used to it. And right, I mean, I've had, I had a one client. She was in her fifties. She was like deadlifting one thirty five with a straight bar, and she was like, "I want, I want to deadlift. Let's go, let's yeah. go." And I'm like, oh, "Okay." And so yeah, it was. She loved doing like the power lifts and stuff, except for. Except for back squatting because she couldn't do it because she had like a frozen shoulder issue yeah, that she finally that. was clearing and she didn't have the mobility for it. But I mean, everything else. We yeah, did. and that's I'm a fan of that. That that definitely um, block pulls because what it allows them to do is get in a good position. Yeah. If I, even if you watch me deadlift, you watch most people deadlift. You have to get into some sort of a posterior pelvic tilt. They get a little bit of a lumbar round, mm-hmm. even if it's not a lot. You have to round to get into position. The problem is when they round to get into position, they can't recorrect. Yeah. So if you're starting them from a corrected position off of a block pull, it's going to feel way better. Yeah. Um, I always tell them like for cues, like I've told told this before in the podcast, but I usually do the King Kong, stick your chest out. Yep. yep. Miley Cyrus, just stick your butt back and then like tabletop. So it's like pretty much just have that flat back. Yeah. yeah. Table and like use those threes and like those three and it, it works. That's solid. Yeah. I, um. I actually learned how to deadlift. Uh, I laugh like it's not common. It's probably pretty common from Mark Ripito. His you know, you know starting what? strength. Yeah, I've never, I've never read his books or anything. Yeah. Like that. like I've just like all my lifts that I've learned was either from like Men's Health or all the Olympic stuff is like YouTube. Yeah, like yeah. that's it. When I started working out, it's, it was um, very similar. I mean, so I'm a younger guy. I'm 26, so I, the audience can kind of get a grasp on that, but. I started working out in like 05 when I was in fifth grade Mm -hmm. and um, I wrestled at the time and I, you know, wanted to be bigger, stronger, faster. Right. So I started working out and I wasn't naturally athletic. I wasn't a very athletic kid. 
uh, I wouldn't even say I'm athletic now, but I was naturally stronger than most. Mm-hmm. Grew up on a farm, you know, we did farm stuff, cows, chickens, fence, you know, whatever, right? And so um, being around a father that was much larger than me, by the way, I'm 5'6", my dad's 6'3", so he's been bigger than me my whole life. It was, you know, he'd carry five of whatever it was, and I'd try to keep up, yeah. carry three, that yeah. kind of thing, you know. So always trying to make him proud or whatever. And um, I started lifting weights, and I remember uh, begging for Christmas one year, please get me a weight set, please. So they went and got me one of those, you know, what is it, like an inch-round bar yep. with the concrete weights that if you drop them, they crack, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And uh, I started bench pressing 40 pounds. And it was like I'd go out there every day and do one set because I didn't know what I was doing. My yeah. dad didn't work out, and there was back then there wasn't YouTube and everything, and so uh, I'd go out there and do like a set of twenty every day and try to add a rep every yep. day. Yep, that's awesome. And so that was fifth grade, and then um, by seventh grade, I was benching two hundred five. Wow. And I weighed um, probably around one forty, I think one thirty five, one forty, and. Uh, yeah, man, I was proud of that because I had the biggest bench at the school. It was the best. I mean, I would, I would have the same thing too. <laughs> but um, I didn't have a squat rack, so it was literally I'd do this bastardized clean to get the bar to my back. And yep. I would you know, do squats with 135, like sets of 30 and 40 because uh, they didn't let us work out at school in middle school. We, didn't, we couldn't go to the weight room until we were in high school. Mm-hmm. And so I was still focused on getting stronger, getting better, but I, I knew I had to, had to squat, but I didn't have a rack. So... Uh, yeah, that was kind of my squat day. Was was clean and do an overhead press to my neck to mm-hmm. <laughs> squat, and uh, you know lunges, running stuff like that. I had um, watched some videos of Herschel Walker doing like, savage, yeah, tire workouts. Right, so I went and took this old backpack, one of those LL beans or whatever, and uh, strapped a tire to it and would run in the backyard. Uh, took like old dog run cable and drilled holes in the tire and ran it through, and I. Um, I had the metal dumbbells, so I'd throw them in the corners of the tire yep. and run with it. And That's stuff. awesome. But, um, yeah, started, started working out then. And uh, as I was getting into middle schools, progressing in sports and everything, I started having injuries. But um, they were more genetic than a product of the environment sort of thing, you mm-hmm. know. Um, I have I had three elbow surgeries on osteochondritis desiccans in my elbows. Now, what's, so, what's that for the people that don't know what it yeah, is? Yeah, right, right. So basically, um, what happens is there's a spectrum, and it's uh, avascular necrosis to osteochondritis desiccans. At least this is my understanding. So if we have any MDs on here, please, this is, remember, this is, <laughs> this is I learned this in a recliner somewhere. Um, you have the spectrum of avascular necrosis to osteochondritis desiccans, and essentially avascular means without vessel, and necrosis is death. And so my elbows didn't have a good blood supply. Mm -hmm. And so the blood supply would decrease and then eventually kind of stop and the cartilage in the area would start to die. And then that's avascular necrosis. For it to become osteochondritis desiccans, there has to be floating bodies in the joint, which just means either the cartilage broke off, some bone broke off, something's in there. And it can actually cause a lock or a click in the joint Mm -hmm. um, because it's you know mechanically something is in the joint keeping it from moving and so i'd gotten to where my elbows would lock and i couldn't straighten them out and stuff i mean if you look now i still can't straighten them out yeah. that way it kind of formed bony blocks over time but uh 
Yeah, had my first elbow surgery in uh, eighth grade. No, 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 seventh grade, and the next one in eighth grade, and the next one in ninth grade. Yeah, back to back to back. So that derailed my wrestling career. Yeah, which was pretty. I would say so. It's pretty upsetting because I, I was I was solid back then. Like I had already had scholarship offers and stuff um, in middle school to some of the best ones, some of the best schools, and uh, so I thought I was going to be wrestling. Um, and then we put all my cards on football. <laughs> yeah, all the coaches loved me because it was my dad was big, and you know you're strong, so you'll be big one day. So I started playing football and stuff, and then. Uh, 2009, in between the elbow surgeries, I had a hyperextension in my right knee. Somebody like rolled up and mm-hmm. hit my knee and uh, partially tore my PCL, Oof. partially tore a meniscus and sprained the MCL and stuff. Anyways, though, um, and that probably led to, we're going to take a big timeline jump here, uh, having all the knee surgeries I've had in the past few years. Yeah. So I've had two knee surgeries on my right knee for the avascular necrosis, osteochondritis stuff and one on my left knee. So while yes, I'm big into heavy powerlifting, and yes, I started lifting at an early age, um, I just picked the wrong hobbies. Mm-hmm. I don't have joints that can support it. It's not, that stuff won't do it to you. you know. So for everyone listening, heavy and great technique and frequent resistance training is the way to go. It's just, uh, I'm uh, not durable. <laughs> <laughs> so so as you as you're like a personal trainer what have you noticed like in the gen pop that is that needs like to be fixed yeah um i think most of them revolve around misconceptions myths stuff like that more in what they're learning than what they're doing mm-hmm. uh it's it, it, when you get on the specific client it's always about you know, what's their personality, what's their character? Because I know you've had clients that would literally break their neck for an extra rep. Mm-hmm. And then you've had clients, you couldn't pay them $100 and give them 10 free sessions to do, you know, one excruciating workout. Yeah. So um, if you kind of remove that from the list that I'd like to put together, um, you know, it's stuff like, uh, is protein good for you? And, you know, how much protein should you eat? Um, how much exercise is too much? Uh, oh, am I worried about overtraining? Um, I'm kind of trying to put a list together and then we can revisit them. But um, stuff like cardio versus weight training, what's the best diet to do, what's the best workout style, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, getting into, oh, and last but not least, supplements to cut corners, <laughs> you know. Um, but the main thing I did, I wrote my master's thesis on um, protein intake. And uh, it's it's pretty conclusive that you almost want to eat as much protein as you can get your hands on. Mm-hmm. And it be animal protein from good lean sources um, or trusted, you know, protein powder sources. Um, yeah, I mean, because everything that I've ever read says the more protein you eat, the leaner you get and the stronger you get and the more muscle mass you gain. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, there's a guy, I, I'm not going to quote too much because I don't want to give any misinformation. I talked about Tom before talked to Tom about this before, but his name's Jose Antonio, Dr. Jose Antonio. Look up his research on protein intake. It's wild stuff. Like he's got one study where he had an obese population at like a 40% calorie deficit, Mm -hmm. but they were still, and then on top of that, he added in for them like 400 uh, calories worth of protein. 
straight protein. So we're talking that's uh, 100 grams of protein. Mm-hmm. That's most people's daily intake. Yeah. But 100 grams of protein is what? Anywhere from two to four chicken breasts, depending on the size. Yeah. That's a lot of food. And that would make me not hungry because right mm-hmm. now I'm not eating two to four chicken breasts a day. You know? <laughs> yeah. Normally I'm eating a lot of steak. But, yeah. you know, that being said, if you you have a client that you are dieting and they're going to they're going to be hungry, right? Anybody on a diet's typically hungry if you put them in a calorie restriction or mm-hmm. you know, a caloric deficit. And so these individuals are at a caloric deficit uh baseline and then he adds to that baseline 400 calories worth of protein. The individuals all still saw fat loss and they all started gaining lean mass just from upping their protein intake. And I do want to say it was an obese population that was the con- uh, the you know the group that they were working with, um, but you know, and he did like two or three more follow up studies where he bumped the calories even higher. There was at one point I want to say it was a thousand calories additional in protein. And so anybody worried about your kidneys or uh, bone mineral density, I did the research on that, and um, there is renal impairment. Excuse me, acute renal impairment evolved or um, in- involved with an increased protein intake. If you eat a bunch of protein for the first week, first two weeks, whatever, your kidneys are gonna let out a little more, a few more enzymes, filtration mm-hmm. will be inhibited a little bit, but your body will auto-correct and you'll be fine. It's completely acute. Nothing that should be on anyone's radar. If mm-hmm. you have healthy kidneys, you can add 100 grams of protein to your diet right now and you'll be fine. Now, if you have kidney issues to begin with, you might wanna consult with your physician. Yeah. Um, and then one thing that was always a concern was bone mineral density in female athletes and protein intake. Uh, supposedly there was information that suggested that protein intake, a, a high protein intake caused women's mineral density of their bones to decrease, causing more bone breaks and stuff like that. And um, all the research I read said quite the opposite, that it actually improves bone health. Yeah. So... You know, if you if you're already pretty healthy, you can bump it up, and I'm sure you'll enjoy the results. Yeah, and plus with weight training, obviously, you know that helps with your bone density too. So there shouldn't be an issue with that whatsoever. And you're only going to get stronger, so it's only going to help the bones even more. It's creating a need. With with weight training, you use your um, uh, the sodium potassium pumps more, and calcium is used in the body and stuff. So if you weight train too hard without enough protein in your diet and enough calcium in your diet you're actually going to leach calcium from your bones mm-hmm. so even more so you need calcium and you need protein to help with that but um yeah a lot of cool stuff there uh i'll, I'll kind of leave you guys on a cliffhanger for that to do a <laughs> little bit more of your your own research but protein is king that was the name of my paper mm-hmm. it's it's king um so be sure to look on in and on that stuff uh misconceptions around you know cardio and, and weight training and stuff I it's more of my mindset is uh, my own personal opinions based off accumulation of knowledge over time like I I'm not one of those that I can readily quote papers but I kind of check things off in my head if mm-hmm. you will like yeah. it's it's locked down as this is truth you know what I mean that sort of stuff and then over time that forms an opinion but at the end of the day if you're just going to do straight steady state cardio versus weight training it just cannot and will not give you the same results. Nope. Because weight training training has so many other variables that it affects other than cardiovascular health. So if you're lifting weights, you're stressing muscle, you're stressing bone, like you said. 
Um, those stressors will result in uh, changes, adaptations to the stressors. You're going to burn as much, if not more, calories than that steady state cardio. So if mm-hmm. you take an hour of weight training and an hour of walking at three and a half miles an hour on a treadmill, you'll probably burn the same amount of calories if you train pretty intensely, probably more. Yeah. And so you might even burn more calories, which is going to open room for fat metabolism. Yep. You don't burn fat while you do cardio unless you're an ultra marathon runner. Um, so, you know, it opens more room for more calories over time. And then uh, you do actually get some cardiovascular benefits from weight training. Mm-hmm. Do a set of 10 and it, are you breathing heavy? Yeah, or even sets of yeah. 20. Like th- I, I'm actually yeah. training one kid. He's on a... Two times a week, twenty rep max back squat cycle. Oh, that'll kill you. And, yeah, and, that's it. And like, I, and what he's doing, he's doing. I think it's like he's doing sixty percent of his one rep max, and then each week for six weeks, he's actually adding five more pounds. That's insane. Each week, and so he's definitely feeling it. And I always, I always tell people like, you can do those hit classes all you want, but you're not your your body's gonna get so used to all those hit classes, you won't, you're not lifting heavy weight. So it's not going to help you whatsoever. And I always tell, like, even females, they're like, oh, I don't want to get bulky. And I'm like, do you know how hard how it hard is, is for you guys to get bulky? And they're like, I'm like, just lift heavy weight. You'll start losing weight. And you'll start getting to where you want to go. It's just, yeah. just stop. <clears throat> and the same people that will say that will point to some woman on a fitness magazine and say that she's attractive. It's like, how, you know, that's what has to be done. But yeah. No, um... It, it's really getting back to sort of the hit thing for a second. It's really a minimal effective dose. You have to monitor your intensity and your frequency of certain intensities. Because at the end of the day, we all love training. That's mm-hmm. why we do it. We love working out. We love training. So that makes it tough. But if you do something too often, too hard, too well, the body adapts. Then what happens? It impedes progress. We we're in a state of tricking our bodies to improve. There are things you do want to adapt to. So, I mean, if, if your number one goal is, is performance, right, mm-hmm. then you, you want to adapt to things over and over and over. But if you're someone trying to add on muscle mass, you don't want your body to adapt. The moment that your body adapts to whatever it is that you're doing, you're most likely going to sort of, sort of see less improvements over time because, you know, it's a minimal effective dose approach. It's like, taking an antibiotic or taking anything. If yep. your body builds up a, a, a response to it, you have to take more. It's like caffeine. Yeah. You can't squat more than, you know, 1,000 pounds, really, if you got a squat suit, whatever. But, I mean, right now the world record's 1,000 pounds. So you, we know that none of us here will probably be there. So that being said, what's your ceiling? Where do, you know, you get to a 600-pound back squat, what will it take to get to seven? Do you have the time for it? Do you have the, the means for it? Um, you know, what if you had just kept your squat max closer to 500 and figured out other variables to train? Your legs would have probably still grown just as much, if not more. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm not saying to push it, because listen, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a meathead powerlifter, like grunt weight, yeah. you know, like I want I more mean, weight. But, I mean, with me two weeks in, I'll be 41. Yeah. I want to push it, push right, it to the max. Right. So, But you kind of get what I'm saying. And yeah. that's what makes it so cool is, yeah, there's a ton of science behind it, but the art comes in. You know, you got to juggle the variables and figure out how to change intensity, pause reps, tempos, rest mm-hmm. periods, um, you know, all sorts of stuff. Like lifting complexes, like Olympic yeah. weightlifting complexes. Yeah, because I... Training styles, cluster training versus, yeah. you know, just 
pyramid loading, different stuff. You yeah, because I remember back when CrossFit was like starting to get big and like people were just like full throttle every yeah. single day and just like blow up and then like they start to realize wait a second this is not really the best idea so why don't we do like tempo work or like every minute on the minute and you have like a break in between yeah, yeah. and then like I used to get nauseous watching Rich Froning videos I yeah. wasn't even doing it just watching them made me sick <laughs> you know stuff like that <laughs> well that's what people like when I do when I work out in the gym they're like are you trying to like earn a contract someplace or like what are you doing and I'm like I'm just trying to get fit <laughs> So yes, no, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. maybe. <laughs> Anyone out there offering contracts? Yes, yes, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm taking supplement offers also. <laughs> right, right. But uh, yeah, so with um, with your your clients, did you kind of like try to get them kind of into powerlifting a little bit? Like not like yeah. not like full blown. You know, just like just say like you know, get them on like the bar and do back squats or just like you know or like bench more or something like that. Uh yeah, so. For me, it was um, the way that I transferred that to my clients was uh, powerlifting is not good to most people mm -hmm. over time. Most people fall in love with the sport and uh, it's like an abusive partner in a relationship. You love them to death, but they beat you up every time you walk in the house, you know? And so I've had that experience probably more than most with, you know, six joint surgeries to my name. And so, um, definitely has helped me train more intelligently. So I know how to kind of display that to a client or an mm -hmm. individual. So I have friends or clients that do powerlift that I do coach. But if I had a gym pop client at the gym, I take the mindset of powerlifting, pushing for a one rep max to everything else. Hey, we're doing fifties on dumbbell chest press, whatever. We need to be at 60 in a month. You know, something like that, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I have clients that's mainly my, my older male clients. Oh, I want a bench. I need to get to two plates, right? And you're like, all right, bro, we'll do it. You know, I mean, you, you take it. Because at the end of the day, you want, there has to be a motivating factor for them too. Yeah. But the way that I get everything else wrapped in is, hey, if you don't get bigger triceps, you'll never bench that way. Nope. Hey, if we don't work on your upper back and your back so that you have healthier shoulders and lats, you're never going to bench that weight. Mm -hmm. So it's not one of those, we bench every day and try to max out every day. <laughs> I trick them with their own goal into creating a well-rounded, strong physique. Because at the end of the day, that's how I train as a power lifter. If yeah. I want to squat a lot, I got bulletproof glutes. I got a low back that can pick up a truck. You know, I got hamstrings that are strong, extensors, on, you know, knee extensors that are strong, a core that's tight. And most of it wasn't built from a squat. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm a fan of squatting, mm -hmm. but for my powerlifting, for my needs, I think of it as putting the pieces together for a puzzle. If I get really strong quads, I will probably have a really strong squat. If I have get really strong hamstrings, really strong glutes, really strong spinal erectors and everything, I'll have a bulletproof squat. Mm -hmm. Train those things independently, and then at the end of the day, you piece them together into your main lift, and boom, you got a big main lift. Now, there has to be a solid base there, I think. Like, you have to be proficient with the movements. You have to be comfortable under the bar, comfortable straining under the bar, which is a different ball game. Mm -hmm. Look in any high school weightlifting room anywhere in the country and watch a kid go from warming up with 135 to his max form way different. Yep. You know, and don't get me wrong, maximal effort, especially for elite individuals, the, the reps may not look identical, but they're ballpark. They're mm -hmm. really close. You know, you're... you're few degrees angles difference at max you know 
And that's just because over time, you get used to straining under that load, both mentally and, phys- mentally and physically, you know what it takes to stay in position, stuff like that. So kind of digressing, getting back to the gym pop clients, I take the mindset of whatever goal they have and then knowing that we want to put 10, 15 pounds on it and tricking them into getting there as sort of, and explaining the process along the way. Most of my clients, as I explain the process along the way, they begin to trust me, they begin to believe me, and they buy into it and they see results. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are other clients that it doesn't matter what you tell them, hey, the sky's blue, and they're like, no, it's green. All right, well, I'm going to be manipulative. Like, I'm not going to tell you yeah. everything because at the end of the day, you're paying me for results. If I get you there without you having to, you know, yeah. it is what it is, right? But uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, you yeah, know yeah. how it is. Yeah. You laugh because you know it's true. But um, no, most of them, it's it. they normally have something that hurts. And when I normally fix it for them with relative heavy loads, it blows their mind. Again, I say relative heavy loads because to some people, a 135 RDL, that's something. It's something. You do a good set of 10 with 135 for them, it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it's a warm-up. For us, it's a warm-up, right? Yeah. But for them, it's a big deal. So if they come to you and they say, I have a lot of low back pain, you know, um, first thing I'm hitting is glutes. Mm-hmm. I'm not sh- going to stretch with them. I'm not going to do anything with them other than get a good glute pump. We'll take them to a... Uh, adduction machine yep. put them on it and have them get a glute pump do some glute bridges and then try to teach them an RDL and you can tell me that if this is true for you but in my experience the hardest lift to teach anyone in a gym is the correct form Romanian deadlift Yep, it is by far the hardest I kind of put out some fake numbers that I tell my clients when I'm doing it so that they feel better about themselves but I'll say something to the effect of 25% of my clients are never going to get it and and me trying to teach them how to do an RDL is me now wasting their money and time. Because mm-hmm. that's gonna it's gonna take a long yeah, time. I take eight, ten sessions maybe. Yeah. yeah. And and you know if you're doing a thirty minute session, you could spend over half of that session working on an RDL. Mm-hmm. And some of it's just a matter of them unlocking the movement pattern. Uh, and so you can't even start with an RDL. You got to get the hamstring strong enough to even allow them to bend over. You yeah. Know? But um. Like 25% may or may not ever get it. 25% are, are going to really struggle at it, but will probably get it. 25% get it by the second or third time we do it. And then there's a 25% that touch the bar and they just fall into a hip hinge. And you're like, oh, mm-hmm. thank God. You know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Awesome. All right. We're going to pause real quick because my dog's like losing his mind. We'll, yeah. we'll go outside. You're good. You're good. Right, hold on. Let me just. Damn dog. All right, guys, welcome back. Uh, we're going to take a little break because my dog started losing his mind in the bathroom, so I apologize for that. So, so, so uh, yeah, so I want to talk about, so do you do you talk to, like, people in the gym when they're working out, like, they're doing off bad form? Do you walk up to them and say, like, you know, hey, you know, you may want to consider doing it this way instead of that way? Yeah, um, my, my uh, I used to. I used to a lot. When I was... In school, uh, this should relate to anyone getting a degree in anything. You're automatically an expert because you paid forty grand to get it. And so um, I was always running around trying to give people advice. And in my defense, you know, retrospectively, it was normally decent advice. Um, but no, uh, the older I've gotten, the more I just try to put on my horse blinders when I walk in and, and mind my own business because most people. 
honestly, you don't have time to explain to them what it is going on because, um, or you can tell within the first five minutes whether they get it or not. Mm-hmm. And so more times than not, for me, it's always been a, a, a look of, you know, no light bulb clicking, right? So I try not to, but man, it is wild. You'll see some folks tearing a rotator cuff before your eyes, or you can you can see their spinal fusion in the future, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, th- th- there's a there's a, I mean, there's a couple people in my in the gym like early morning, that it's just like, it's his back like their back is like hunched over so bad. It's like almost he wants to start looking like the hunchback of Notre Dame. There's just one dude that's got some serious kyphosis. I think that's the guy I'm talking oh, about. Yeah, man, it's his his back's deformed to it almost. Yeah. Like I, I kind of wonder if he has a medical condition because his back, his erectors have become so thick. Like you can see that he's been doing that for a long yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. Those I mean, make me hurt. Yeah. I mean, typically for me, I'll, I'll like go up to a kid that's in high school or they're just starting to do like Olympic weightlifting and they're kind of like, they kind of know the gist of it, but you know, if I gave him like one or two pointers that might help him get better on that lift. So like a lot of, a lot of the kids, they, they, I always ask them like, Hey, do you mind if I just show you what you're supposed to do and, you know, just see what happens. And like a lot of the, even the parents are like, yeah, sure. Like just want, just show them like, you know, this is how you do it. And I'm like, this is how you properly do it. And just think of that. I always do those cues too. And it's like, I think it's a huge help for them, but I mean, some of them actually do listen, and then you some of them like, like you said, with like just the the light switch and it turn on, and they're like, <laughs> or they keep on doing the same thing, or they're you know, taking it as confrontation when it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm literally here in your best interest. Um, yeah, no, I I 100% get it, and I, I do I do that again. I do that sometimes, especially if it's someone I've talked to before. Mm-hmm. I'm very comfortable doing it um, because. Oh, I told you guys earlier, I started when I was in like fifth grade and I didn't work out in a commercial gym until I was 18. I had over the years accumulated enough equipment at home, um, and saved up every dollar I made, you know, to buy this and buy that. Mm -hmm. Um, like I was doing pull-ups and rafters kind of thing, you know, in the garage that we had. And, um, so I, I hadn't been in a commercial gym and I, Gosh, I just wish I could have told myself 10% of what I know now. Mm -hmm. And so when you keep it in that perspective, it's like whether that person appreciates it now or later, um, you maybe you could cut two years off of experience for them. You give them just a couple of tips that could if you think about how long it takes you to learn something, knowing what I know about bench pressing now versus what I knew about bench pressing then. I told y'all I benched 205 in seventh grade, right? I didn't bench 225 until I was almost a junior in college. I learned more trying to get that 20 pounds than I did anything else. Mm-hmm. And the, the techniques and things that I use now and the, the ideas that I use now, um, you know, I can, at the moment, I could probably bench 400 plus. Um, I've been a little bit stronger at times. It fluctuates with body weight and uh, achy elbows and shoulders, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, but you know, putting 200 plus pounds on my bench in that time frame, uh, it was the things that I learned getting that last 20 pounds to get to 225. Mm-hmm. That's kind of got me to where I am now at a steady, you know, over time increase. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it's. I think it just we need to make it more acceptable. The only problem is you just never know when you're getting good advice. Yeah. I, I agree because it's yeah it should be more norm in gym culture um, but I think there should be like uh, 
there's there's just there's understood etiquette that should be in place that you just can't type on put on the wall <laughs> yeah i mean but the, the granny like you'll you'll have people like being like oh like the top like you know the, the tough guys like the big big guys like just like hey you should do it this way i always that's why i always ask like right do you mind if i ask you if i mind if i like give you a little pointer like if if you say no whatever that's that's fine do do your own thing but right. like you know i just want to make sure you get better and i even tell like the the clients that i talk to like you know you're with the weight's gonna not gonna come easy it's gonna like if once you have a good form then it'll start going yeah. and then once if you have garbage form forget it you might as well just stay with like you know a 95 pound bench press forever because you're not going to get a good you're not going to get good form and or find a up. good surgeon in the area and yeah exactly speedo. yeah yeah <laughs> and like even even with people like i see a lot of people like military press and they have their one foot back and they like they like push it out further yeah, it's almost gosh. like almost at a 49 45 degree angle and it's like you're not supposed to do that. They look like they're in a jazzercise, the class. Yeah, you know, where they're like kicking it out. Yeah, yeah. gosh, <laughs> they even do that. Like in the, like even at the group classes at the gym that well I used to work at, it was they they do the same thing. Would just be pushing out, pushing out. But I'm like, no, that's not how you're supposed to do it. Like right. no, and the problem is with like that group class is she can't one by one go to each person oh, and say no. you can't do it. And like, and even if she did teach it in the beginning of the class, the, the clients would be so pissed off because they're like singled out yeah feel singled out you yeah know? nobody goes to a group class to feel singled out that's the whole point yeah they go there to disappear into the background well um, that, that and clients also like I've, I've come to the conclusion they just want to get throttled every single day because they think that's a good workout and right. it, it's like no it's it's not yeah, you, you bring up a really good point there by the way um, guys being exhausted when you leave the gym or having a leg day where you need a wheelchair occasionally is is good yeah uh but there are so many other things that you could do better yeah that would give you way more results mm -hmm. like just learning how to feel a muscle you know can you feel your hamstring contract when you do a leg curl you know stuff like that but now getting back to the advice thing i um gosh one rule that any young people here listening to or really just anybody if he's over she or he is over 50 years old and they look like they're in really good shape they know what take they're doing. their advice yeah because they haven't been injured a lot because they're still working out and they're still in good shape at this point they probably know a good bit about what works for them diet wise because you just don't stay in good shape you know so be open to that advice regardless of what vessel it's delivered in uh, because you know communicating across generations can be difficult uh, he may not or she may not think they're rude when they're talking to you the way they are, but they may just be being rude on accident, you mm -hmm. know, so kind of be open to the advice. But, uh, man, anytime anyone older tries to give me some advice, even with two degrees and a little bit of knowledge under my belt, um, I'm always open, all ears because I want to be lifting when I'm 60. Thank you. Yeah. So, me too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're doing it. They beat me there. Yeah, so. exactly. Like, and plus like <laughs> I listen to podcasts like all the time, like on the way home. Cause I, I drive, I think like half an hour from one way, one way and back. And like, even at work sometimes if I'm like not calling people up, I'll just be like, listen to podcasts every time. and right. just like learning. And then like, I've learned so much in the past two years, just on listening to podcasts from like the, you know, the top rated people in the fitness industry you know, not the Gymshark athletes or anything like that, but like, right, you know, right. just like the people that have like been in the business for like 22 years or like whatever, you know, they just have, I'll just pick one thing out and it'll be like, oh, like 
Why didn't I know that? Do you remember uh, the Barbell Shrugged guys? I love the. Oh, those guys were Doug awesome. Doug Larson and yep. uh, what's the other guy's name? Oh gosh, I'm having a brain fart. Uh, Doug Larson. And, this, there was uh, three guys. Yeah, there was Barbell Buddha. Uh, I can't remember his real name. He passed. Yeah. And uh, Doug's the only one I can ever remember when I bring it up. But um, those dudes, they uh, were really good about bringing great content. Mm-hmm. They they had. Um, gosh, what was his name? He was a powerhouse in Olympic weightlifting a decade ago. Um, and then there was the other guy that had the heart attack that went into what was it? He's got something. Nation is the name of his. Oh, a Mountain Dog. No, Mountain Dog Trent. No, he he's the one that made bar slamming popular. Oh, I can't remember. Damn it. But uh, yeah, they're solid. They used to bring solid weightlifters and nationally and and internationally and but they'd also talk to you know people that did yoga they talked to everybody they'd bring everything on and it wasn't it was more of a joe rogan type podcast it was never like just lifting Mm -hmm. um but i learned a lot from them that was nothing i was ever interested in yeah you know what i mean like i've never been super interested in the olympic list but Mainly because I couldn't do them, right? That's that's a big thing. Like, I have, like, a 185 clean in high school, and I've hated Olympic weightlifting ever since. <laughs> it was really just I had a terrible high school weightlifting coach that didn't teach yeah, yeah. me how to Olympic clean and, you know, do everything correctly. But um, but the flip side being where I'm at now in my, my training life, uh, I myself do Olympic variations. Not necessarily more for almost bodybuilding type stuff mm-hmm. man you your shoulders and traps will get yoked if you holding a, if you're holding a bar out in front of you for a bunch of ballistic movements over and over and over mm-hmm. and over you'll get stacked yeah. man and well uh, even your lower back and lats just oh, just for sure just from like doing the do, yes. like doing hand cleans you like just you even feeling and pulling your hamstrings your glutes pretty much like your whole posterior chain is you'll feel anything even if it's lightweight just high reps you'll like after a while you'll be like crap this is right yeah kicking yeah. my ass and then you know from an athletic standpoint if, if you're ever working with athletes um there's a lot of information and i mean a lot of research that suggests that olympic lift variations are much more beneficial for athletes than the traditional olympic lifts mm-hmm. like pulling from the floor for a clean and jerk hang cleans way better stuff like that you know um just because again it comes down to a cost time effectiveness you know how long would it take an athlete that's already playing a sport how long would it take them to truly become proficient in a clean and jerk years years could teach them a hand clean maybe in three months and they're getting most of the crossover and they learned it much quicker mm-hmm. um you know they don't need to worry so much about ankle mobility or you know are is there are they posterior pelvic tilting to get down into the hole? Stuff like you know that that kind of stuff. It's all things that should be considered. Who who know your audience, right? People always know your audience. Who are you training? What may be important to me as a trainer? What may be important to you as a trainer? Or important to anyone listening? Remember, that's not what may be important for that athlete or that client or whatever. You know, um, let's just for instance carbs. I tell clients to eat carbs. Oh, all the time. All the time. But I don't work with a lot of diabetic patients. Yeah. Specifically for this podcast, I, I'm not sure. I'm sure you guys, you approach carbs a lot differently than most of us, right? Mm-hmm. So if I had a client that was diabetic, that would be something that I definitely need to take into account. 100%. So it's, you know, know your client, know your audience. Um, 
stuff like that. Remember that everything's got a place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, even for me, like I always tell, like I always for myself, I always eat carbs after I work out because right. that's why that's where you need the carbs most. But the problem is, a lot of people, you know, they'll drink those like protein shakes right before they work, like right immediately, like right after they work out, and it's like, guys, you wait a half an hour. Like, give it some time before, because your hormones are all out of whack. Even, like, you're, if you're a diabetic, your blood sugars are probably out of whack, especially if you're doing CrossFit workouts. Like, just just kind of, like, you know, wait till everything balances out. And then, like, take take insulin if you need to when you after you work out if it's, like, super high. Right. You're it, talking about if they were to supplement with insulin right after a workout on yeah, the meal. Yeah. I mean, and then, like, then, obviously, like, I'll, I'll have, like, a, a bowl of oatmeal after I work out. Yeah, your insulin sensitivity after a workout is through the roof. Yeah. Um... That's why some people are able to, to I, I don't want to speak too much out of my ass here because I'm not a huge <laughs> diabetic expert, but there, I've, you know, there are people that can cure their diabetic symptoms and, and even their insulin response with exercise. With, with type 2. Yeah, type, type 2, yeah, right. Yeah, type 1 is a different so, story. Right, right. But there's a little bit there in that you're right. After your workout, you're going to want to wait a little bit before you start adding in insulin and, and different things because... Um, Exercise itself self has such a large role in hormonal response. Yeah, acutely for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've. I think this year is probably my best year, even in COVID. Like for like li- all my lifts. Yeah, you've been getting strong. Because I don't know. I, it's, you know, I've been sticking with this program for like a year and a half or two years almost, and it's, you know, and that's another thing is like you'll have people like do one program in one year and then like keep on bouncing all over the place because they're not seeing the you know the gains or whatever in in their pro in their program so they just go to another another one or like another trainer because i've i've had i've had other clients be like yeah i went on, i had this client i had this trainer and i saw no results and then i see your your like other clients and they're getting results so i just wanted to switch with you and i'm like well how long have you been with this person yeah. like a couple months well that's the problem so yeah i mean not may not be a bad that's you hit yeah you hit the nail on the head there i um i graduated all right so i was i had gotten into the like 165 i weighed about 165 my freshman year man i was eating anything not bolted to oh, the floor when i was in college it was like yeah. three i had three plates and like six gatorades just yeah, like chilling yeah. out and remember i five six so <laughs> uh i thought 165 was good you know i was a kid whatever blah 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 and then I stopped playing sports, so I wanted to get shredded for the ladies, right? So I graduated high school around 140, 145. And um, when I started college, I was around that ballpark. And when I – two years – I did my core classes at home, so I was at home, stayed at home for a while. When I moved off to college, um, I was weighing around 150, 148, 152. Mm-hmm. It was pretty normal. And uh, – I'll never forget what started me in powerlifting. I was in a strength or a weight training class in college, and we were going to do deadlifts. And I was the only kid in the class that pulled over 300. And up to this point in my life, I, I don't think I really ever deadlifted. And uh, it was like 305 or something. It was They were bumpers. I can't remember exactly what, the, what it was. And I remember dropping the weight. And seeing the bumpers bounce, you know, and I was like, oh man, you know, I was the strongest that had done it that day. And this, I don't think that 300's, you know, the whatever, but I mean, it's a lot I for felt, it's good for a lot of people. It felt really good, yeah. man. And um, I said, I'm gonna start doing this more. And uh, I talked to the coach a little bit, and he's like, yeah, it's a power lift. And I was like, oh man. So I started learning and learning, and um, yeah, so 
within a couple of years, I was into the to 160s, but a totally different body composition mm -hmm. than when I was in the 160s when I was younger. And uh, pulling like mid threes, high threes on deadlift, squatting low threes, benching uh, around 225, 240, you know. And then um, within a year of that, I'd say I was uh, low fours, mid fours, squat, mid fours deadlift, benching around 260, 280, you know, and then year after that, we're into, into the almost fives on squat, mm -hmm. you know, and almost, I think I had pulled 500 by then, and uh, body weight's around 175. So and, those, are, uh, those are really good numbers, too. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so my first, my first powerlifting meet, I competed at 167, and I had done a water cut. I was trying to get to 165. I was so close too, and I because I wanted to compete at 165 because I would have had pretty good numbers. Yeah. But I squatted, um, I think it was 385. I deadlifted 415, I want to say, and then benched 275 uh, at a 167 body weight. And then about a year later, I did another meet where I competed at. 172 I think and I no I'm getting off right there it was 177 it was 177 and um, so I was in the 181 weight class and I think I squatted um, 450 ish and in knee sleeves mm -hmm. and then um, deadlifted 507 and I benched 321 because uh, everything was like kilo. The other numbers are off by a couple pounds because I can't remember yeah. what the kilo conversion was. But um, And then six months after that, I around the same body weight, I think I weighed 179 at the meet. I This one was my best meet. And really, actually, this is my last meet, I think. But I, um, I benched 315, bench suffered, but deadlift was 5... 17 and I was so close to a lockout on 530 so close like it was one of those the whole crowd was like oh yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. and um squat was 489 in Damn. these sleeves and it felt pretty good and then uh but I kept powerlifting even though I didn't compete what I in my mindset was like I'm fixing to get stupid strong before my next meet yep I'm gonna gain a little bit of body weight and then we're going to start to kind of peel it off. I, I normally do, to get strong, I have to get heavier. But as I kind of come down, I can keep most keep of weight, my strength. Yes. And so it, I can't, you know, stay lean and get strong. So, um, I mean, I can. You know what I'm saying, though. Yeah. For powerlifting purposes, that was kind of, I found out the best formula for me. So um, I had gotten, I was 183, and I was hitting triples with 500 on squat, knee sleeves. Um, and I never, never tested my max because I was like I'm not doing a pile to meet I don't need to peak but you don't need it yet yeah, yeah. I'm like I'm not peaking I'm just I'm running through so I hopped on another metal cycle on another one you know and I was um, my biggest regret was not doing 500 for 5 like there was one set where it would have went you know yeah. and then um, bench was uh, I think I doubled 365 with pauses um, during that cycle that meso cycle and then uh I pulled 585, I think, on deadlift. Yeah. 
And man, I'm one of those uh, Michael J. Fox deadlifters. Like I twerk, you know what I mean? <laughs> You've seen me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I, yeah, yeah. The, I get the shakes. But um, is that because is that is that because like your central nervous system's like completely fried out? And I think just... it's that and weak quads. Because you know I've had so many knee surgeries. I think my quads are a little weak on the deadlift. Yeah. And so it, they're firing, and I'm just you know kind of twerking. Um, and yeah, I do. I think it's CNS fatigue too, though. Because yeah. uh, there's some days I'll, I'll hit it. Hit, I could hit the same number, no twerk. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, the next one, it's a twerk PR. So I don't know. But, um, I mean, that's that's with me. Like, I, I haven't actually, I did a post earlier, like, saying, you think I should do a weightlifting competition? And everyone's like, hell yes. Like, do it. Like, go do it. I'm, I'm actually going to do it. I'm actually been looking. You learn a lot. It's yeah. Just about yourself. Yeah. Getting I'm, there. I mean, I've hit, I hit some big numbers already. So when yeah. it's like. All right, let's 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 try this so I can just get a gist of like what this is all about because I've never the only competition I've had is doing the CrossFit Open and that was with like at the gym there was people cheering for me and like this one I actually went to a weightlifting competition the first person I interviewed um, I went to her weightlifting competition because she's from Alabama and she was doing a um, a weightlifting meet to get to the Arnold in uh in in Atlanta like like yeah where but I I went to it to see what it was all about right and I'm like okay this isn't bad. And so I was like, all right. I, I, and then after that, that post, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to definitely get to start looking for one. I'm actually looking at uh, one of those, like, wrestling singlets and stuff like that. Dude, funniest thing. Look for weightlifting singlets on Amazon or eBay or something like that, and you'll see, like, the craziest-looking stuff, like – like like role playing stuff like yeah. like like you'll see like the oh, the crotch it's, oh, the it's crotch missing a crotch yes yeah, like, missing a cross hmm. or missing the butt and I'm like this is the butt portion I'm like this I've never been disqualified I'm before. like I'm not I, this is not what I wanted so <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's like it's amazing what you find on like Amazon or those things I'm listening to you I just so, the dude's name popped in my head for the Olympic weightlifting stuff yeah so I'm I'm really I'm I my my goals for those meets I actually want to hit like three. I want to try 330 for a cleaning jerk and probably like 245 for a snatch. I mean, I and I'm and it's I I think it's doable. I, yeah, I mean, I've hit 230 as a power snatch before, so I'm really I'm pretty sure I, I'm thinking I can get that, which is would be amazing, especially yeah. being a 41 year old too. So, and being <laughs> and being six five. Yeah, being tall. Yeah, because obviously, like being tall and being a weightlifter is obviously really difficult, because like the the, the whole like area you have to pull and re- reach to get to. Yeah, so. your your leverages, they're not a, uh, not necessarily the you got but you got long arms which helps a little bit. But yeah, you you're fighting an uphill battle. Other than someone like me who just built like a little compact, you know? <laughs> just put it on my shoulders. We got it. Yeah. So have you ever had like people come up to you during like during mid workout and try to talk to you about stuff and like like what what do you do because like I like obviously I'm doing like workouts that like I'm at there for time and people will come up to me and be like hey you know what's going on or like hey what are you trying to, like what are you trying to do? I'm like no not not now like yeah, that, yeah. Not now. so how do you handle that so if it's if it's if it's ever compliments I shut down I lock up I don't know what it is it doesn't it's not even about weight training or anything but compliments in general I'm just one of those people that just can't handle them so uh, I always you know it's like an athlete after a game I just like to thank God you know for me it's like oh you know just got a good dad I don't know or you know yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. oh no I'm just trying you know those kind of people that are 
say that they're, that they're blessed to be above ground, right? I'm yeah. one of those that, oh, man, that was a nice set with 500. I was like, oh, just great to be alive today. Like, you know, <laughs> shit like that. <laughs> Trying to divert. But um, if it's ever about training stuff, uh, I'll normally talk to them. You know me. I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll talk to a brick wall. So um, I, I'll normally talk to them. Those are the ones I'll talk to the most. If it's someone I don't know and they're just trying to chat up, uh, I don't talk to them. Normally, I'll, I'll kind of talk to him for a second and move along, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had I've had one guy in, like last week. I was doing like a max rep thruster, and like <laughs> I was just about to lift it and like do it do a weight, and then all of a sudden he comes up to me. He's like, "Hey man, like, kind of hurt my hip," and I'm like. I'm okay. hurt your hip too. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, okay. And he's like, yeah. I think I'm getting too old for like. It's an older gentleman, and like he he lifts some heavy weight, but like he's like, I think I'm. I think it's time for me to like slow down and like cut like you know just start like slow down. You die. Yeah. Well, man, like, like slow down, like lighten the <laughs> no, load. I know. Or, you know, you like, get like, what I'm, saying. I'm like, hey man, just do a hypertrophy phase, like just just like six weeks. Yeah. And like just kind of work. They work your way back, and then just. Go back to lifting heavy again, or whatever. Yeah, or just if like, you'd asked him when the last time was that he had took a little weight off the bar, he probably couldn't have told you. Yeah. Like well, some I mean, sort of deload. Active. Yeah. He's doing three. This this guy was doing three fifteen zombie squats because he can't do front rack holds because his mobility's so yeah. bad. And one day, I identify. What what <laughs> what what <laughs> one one day he actually I was, I think I was doing like a clean or something like that next to him. And like he started losing it because he puts the two and a half pound plates behind on his heels to get the like the high arch and stuff, and he just dropped it like like all the metal. I think I know who you're talking. Yeah, you probably about. know. Him. But like it's just a strong guy. Yeah, just completely dropped it and like the loudest noise compared to like my bumper plates dropping it over my head. It yeah. was it, but it was just like and he yelled out. He's like he's like part of my friends. He's like fuck. And I'm yeah. like I'm like okay, man. I mean you're doing three fifteen zombie squats. You should be happy with that because yeah, yeah. I can't do that. <laughs> No, it can be frustrating, but honestly, I hope everyone can tell by my and Tom's interactions. I like to think I'm a really nice guy. Like you can approach me at he, any he time. He is. He is. Um, but, but, I throw in my headphones and I keep the meanest eat shit look on my face the whole time I work out. And it's truthfully so maybe people won't approach me, just so I don't have to politely leave a conversation. But if you do chat me up. I will chat you up. Like mm-hmm. we'll talk. It's um, and that's that's a problem. That's why I have to do that because I'll talk to you for an hour and then I gotta leave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so now that we're getting close to the end, so I kind of want to talk about. Both of us kind of did the same route. We were personal trainers, and then we kind of ventured yeah. off to you know working someplace else. But we still do. I mean, obviously, I want to talk to you about like like coaching, like online stuff. But right. but you know. You kind of told me, like, you know, I wanted to make, like, 60 grand in a year. And then you kind of did the math, working at a global gym, being, like, you'd have to work, like, 12, like, six, like, six 12-hour shifts with no breaks in between. And, like, I think you and I talked about this and realized, like, you know, this is not going to cut it. So what, what finally broke the, broke the camel's back that you were, like, okay, this is, this has to change? Yeah, so... For me, it started before I started training full-time, honestly. So I don't want to play it up and make it more than it was. But I also want want everyone to know that I fully believed it was happening. And I was planning my life off of it. When I was with the Falcons, I was supposed to come back. And I was planning my life on coming back. 
and that's why I went to grad school. And so, because I knew, you know, pro level, you got to have two degrees. So mm -hmm. I was going to get my master's in human performance in return, right? Well, that individual is no longer with the team, the one that was the wink and the nod and the handshake, hey, come back, you know. And there was no way to get back. So my last shot in the ring was um, just after my first year of grad school, I had some strings I pulled to go to work with the Panthers. Mm -hmm. And I went to the Carolina Panthers for two days, really just shadowing, not doing much more, but hoping to make an impression and get a get a situation. And uh, their coach, great guy, uh, great training philosophies, has been has a very successful career, um, both in the NFL and, and as a, a coach. And... Um, but it just uh, – there was a little friction there with, I think, sort of how I carried myself at the time, being a younger guy, and then his view of me as a younger guy. Mm -hmm. And we kind of had a conversation about paying dues. And uh, I don't like to talk money numbers and stuff like that, but I've been offered jobs at colleges to do – head strength stuff you know like d2 colleges nothing too big yeah and um i can tell you that i could make more money being a cashier uh in a year with with the work ethic that i think i have than i would being uh, a strength coach for 200 plus athletes mm -hmm. that's terrifying i don't care what anyone says because when you're a strength coach and you're you're actually trying to make it in the industry from a, a college standpoint you're waiting for a phone call there's not so much that you can do. You can go and interview for jobs, but at the end of the day, you're waiting for someone to think you're good enough. You've got to make connections. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. Because it's it's really hard to push the data on, I'm the reason that this program is better. You can. You can keep up with your own data. It take a lot of time. You know, Athletes are less injured right now with me. My athletes across the board are this X much stronger. Athletes across the board are this, this, and this. But the problem is that other college that you're going to present that data to is probably not going to pay attention to it. Yeah. They're going to want to know if the football team won. How many championships did the football team win while you were a coach there? How many baseball championships? You know, stuff like that. Stuff that almost has nothing to do with you as a strength coach. Because your number one goal as a strength coach is do no harm. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing as a surgeon or anything. Yeah. You don't want to hurt an athlete. Julio Jones is top five athlete in the NFL if he doesn't lift a weight. So you're going to make him lift weights and potentially get him hurt? Yes, you are. But your goal should be, I'm just trying to polish a Ferrari, not turn it into a Hummer. Yeah. So that, it, with that in mind, you know, it uh, became pretty clear that crack, cracking the field was going to be very difficult. And so when I got the job at One Life to do personal training, my number one goal was to meet someone. Um, I'm a people person. I like meeting people. Networking is my favorite thing to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was just 100% convinced that my next job was going to be through someone I met at the gym. And uh, so that's why I started personal training there. And it was, it was, it was a client. So the next client I talked to got me a job. Now I do payroll. <laughs> hey, it works. But in a, in a way it's, it's worked out. You know, I, I'm don't think that I'm done in the fitness industry by any chance. I still personal train here and there. And, um, do some online stuff, but my at the end of the day, 
this is something that all anyone that's looking to be a personal trainer, you want to be a strength coach, you want to help people, uh, you have to help yourself first because if you lose your car, you can't get to work and you can't train anyone. If you have no one to nowhere to live, you can't rest, you can't eat correctly. You know, you you're not going to be able to train people correctly. If you're looking to impact others' lives, you first have to have yours locked down. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, you know, saying be debt free, be this, be that, but like. You kind of know what I'm getting at. Be sta- have a be stable. stable. Be stable, yeah. You can't be a stable cornerstone in someone else's life if you're not stable. Mm-hmm. And personal training is, first and foremost, personal. You'll spend 50% of your time being a, a, a psychologist with your clients <laughs> than you will, you know, just training their body. Yeah. Um, and they're both so related because uh, that client's going to go home and eat something nasty if they're depressed. So, you know, and then they're never going to see the results. You yeah. got to you got to play both fields and if you're not stable as an individual, you're not going to be able to help them appropriately. So, uh, that being said, I may find myself doing something sooner rather than later or, you know, how, whatever back in the industry, but uh, at the end of the day, got bills to pay, got to eat. And mm-hmm. um I think personally for me it was the best decision to kind of step away uh, cuz for a little while in a full-time aspect, I've seen a lot of personal growth in the weight room. You know, um, this morning after my first bowel movement, I was 201, which is pretty heavy. Uh, you know, but just six weeks ago, I was 210. So um, everything's going well there. Personally, you know, I feel good, good relationship, good friends. Um, I do enjoy my job with what I do now because, again, uh, I don't think – what you go to school for or what you want to do necessarily dictates what you do. Mm-hmm. I enjoy people. So I get to work with people all day, every day, just like most people and uh, make the best of it and really enjoy what I do. Got a good career. So, um, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of why I'm not a personal trainer <laughs> technically full time anymore. Yeah. You know? So you do all the online stuff, but, uh, so, so how did, how did you handle, like, how do you handle that? Like, do you, do people come up to you and ask you or, yeah, I don't. I don't advertise. Um, it's normally either past clients or current clients. Um, what I really enjoy is friends. Mm-hmm. All joking aside, because you can, you know, you're still getting paid. You're still asking for someone to pay you for a service. Uh, but if you're gonna be my client, I'm gonna turn you into my friend at some point. Like I, we will be closer than we are at first meeting because there's a certain level of candidness that needs to take place in my opinion with online stuff um and you got to know what pushes that individual whether an individual needs to be shamed or encouraged or what how do you get that because unlike face-to-face training there has to be a motivator most people face-to-face are motivated by not being embarrassed Mm -hmm. they don't want to be embarrassed so they'll work hard in front of you so that you don't think they're you know whatever right that they're sandbacking or they're lazy so um it's easier to get results face to face from that standpoint um but i find that most of my clients have better results online than in person because i i'm now in your home Mm -hmm. now i'm telling you what to eat now i'm telling you you need to be asleep right now why are you texting me like you need to get some rest so that you can train tomorrow you know yep um you're gonna tell me that you're going out of town this weekend so you need to change your workout you know or whatever and uh it's normally 
I would say it's it's cheaper when compared to person to person, but you normally spend more money overall. Yeah. Like you're not, you know, so a 30-minute session isn't causing cost you X amount of dollars that may be, you know, whatever. But here you're buying a week's package sort of thing, so I charge a little bit different or however. And um, so more money is spent overall, so the individuals feel more vested. And that in itself normally yields more results. Nobody wants to waste their money. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I, I uh, don't do a lot now. Like I said, most of it's with, with close individuals. I've discussed starting something a lot bigger. Um, I've told you my roommates, right? One of my roommates is a personal trainer and the other is a doctor of physical therapy who just won his pro card in um, uh, a natural bodybuilding federation. So uh, we're all young kids that just want to be multimillionaires in the next week. So yeah. <laughs> we, we sit around spitballing trying to figure out things that we can do to, to you know, increase ourselves as, you know, professionals and stuff. And um, we're considering putting together a website with some things like maybe an exercise library, a paid subscription mm-hmm. to a certain amount of workouts. And then uh, from there an individual could tack on additional workouts or whatever for markups. You know, I don't know. We're looking into some things there. Very cool. Um, the online stuff, you know, it's, it's involved. It's huge. Yeah. In my opinion, online personal training is twice as hard as in-person personal training. Yeah. Maybe even three times as hard. Mm-hmm. The time requirement is greater. Um, and you know, you, it's, yeah, mentally it's, it's sort of exhausting at times cause yeah. you, you're really, you got to make them progress. It's people will pay for in-personal training just to have a gym buddy. Yes. But people will not pay to have an online buddy. Yep. You have to deliver, right? <laughs> yep, exactly. So it's, it's, it's something else. But yeah. yeah. Awesome. So, okay. Last two. Yeah. yeah. So where can people find you online okay. or like social media or oh, whatever? Man. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be bad. I, my Instagram name, I want to say is J O E. H A R R E L L one. So Joe Harrell one. Um, and if you find a short, ugly guy, when you pull that up, that's probably me. And, uh, then we don't have any websites right now. Uh, Facebook, you can find me just Joe Harrell. I do put some content on my Instagram, but it's normally just my personal stuff. Mm-hmm. What I would rather you use it for is you can follow me for, you know, um, see what I'm doing, see how weak I am. And then what I would recommend though is, uh, DM me. If you have specific questions, uh, you have things you want to know about. Um, I spent the last 10 years of my life learning everything that I could to make an individual stronger. Mm -hmm. So if you're interested in anything like that, please send me a private message. I'd be more than happy to chat you up. Um, maybe even exchange contact info or something and go from there. Yeah. Awesome. And then, so last question. So where, let's see, what would you tell a brand new personal trainer what to expect in their career? Um, Yeah, brand new personal trainer. I would uh, say first and foremost, expect awkward situations, a lot of awkward situations. Um, I think personal training attracts introverts. I think your client base will be like 70% introverts Mm -hmm. because they already can't go to the gym by themselves. They need someone to be with them because they fear massive groups of people. So 
Um, if you're not an already very outgoing person, practice that. You can practice personal skills. You can develop your own character to be more outgoing, um, to be able to carry conversations with individuals. And then um, treat it like a date. You know, uh, first time with a girl, first time with a guy. You don't want that girl to think you're looking at every other girl in the room. Yeah. You stare at that girl that you're with, right? So you focus on your client. That's who you're there for. Um, you know, I, I, everybody knows me at the gym, so I, I don't do a good job of it. But it's hard. It's clients, really hard, yeah. yeah. But most of my clients know me well enough that it's it's a pass. But that would be my advice. You know, focus on that client. Really actually listen to them because you may have to read between the lines. If they've got a terrified look on their face or if they have an eat shit look on their face or something like body language, pay attention to the body language and um, don't be afraid to over ask them questions. I had one client that she literally would yell at me that she was okay because I would ask every three minutes, you okay, right? You're good, right? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I put her in an ambulance once, so <laughs> I was always concerned about her. Um, it was it was a it was a no breakfast situation. Right? Yeah, she came yeah. to train with no breakfast and got. But um, yeah, you know, just communicate, communicate, communicate. Pay attention to your clients. Um, encourage them uh, because at the end of the day, remember why someone comes for personal training. They're probably not encouraged. And they're wanting someone to do it for them. They need motivation, um, and then they're also not sure where to start. And remember. You're the expert, not your client. Mm -hmm. So don't second guess yourself. You you've learned for this as long as you're learning and you're training yourself to be a better trainer, um, you'll be fine. Uh, confidence increases buy-in, and if your client does not buy into what you're telling them, they will not see results. Nice. All right, Joe. Thanks, man. Yeah, Appreciate brother. it. All right.